It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. It is great to be back here. Uh, this is the live edition of The Nonprofit Coach. We are back from our summer hiatus. Uh, today is uh, September 10th, 2013. Uh, as you heard from our new announcement here, that this is a live call-in show, so you can call in at 347 347- Three two four thirty eighty. You also can join us over in the chat room, uh, and you can also email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. For those of you who know the show, uh, it's great to have you back. And those of you who are new, thank you for joining us today. We always start off the show with page one news. You can follow along on page one news by going over to tedhart.com and click on radio links. You'll find all the very best links in the nonprofit sector. Uh, First up here and the uh, nonprofit coach here on page one news comes to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Donors who give by text want to give more, and this is a new study. Donors uh, who are giving in a new survey of more than 20,000 text message donors 85% 85% of those donors said that they would be willing to give $25 to $50 via text. Uh, however, mobile contributions right now are limited to a top gift of $10. Uh, so 42% in the survey said that they would uh, that they currently give more than $250. Roughly 85% of them said that making a small gift via text message would not make them less likely to make larger gifts uh, to other organizations. So the study was sponsored by the M Give Foundation. Those are the folks who manage online giving those $10 donations right now. They're the charitable arm of the Denver company that provides text messaging fundraising services. And uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to continue to make the case uh, to have text and mobile giving uh, increase beyond that $10 uh, limit. And next up here in the uh, nonprofit coach, it is uh, my pleasure, back uh, fresh and bright as can be from uh, summer hiatus, is Eva Aldrich. She is here from CFRE, and this is time, Eva, for the CFRE Minute. Welcome back from summer hiatus. Thanks so much, Ted. It's good to be back. So what's going on over at CFRE? Well, I think the last time I talked with you, I mentioned that uh, we are going to have a totally revamped website and member portal, and we are putting the final touches on that and look forward to launching it in October. So we'll be contacting everyone on our list to let them know when it's up and running. And we're really looking forward to being able to provide a lot better experience to our current and, and future CFREs through this. That's terrific. And, of course, you'll be uh, back with us each month. 
uh, as you have been for quite some time here giving us information from CFRE. So you'll be able to give us uh, uh, an update on when that actually launches, and you're saying that might be in October? Yes. Right now we're looking at the beginning of the month, but uh, as you know, with tech upgrades, sometimes you know little things happen at the end. Um, and we You've got to be waiting- flexible when you're working in text. <laughs> exactly. And we also want to wait until our application deadline for the fourth testing window, just to make certain that people who are getting their applications in to test at the end of the year don't experience any issues. So uh, that deadline is September 30th. For, so for everyone out there who's thinking, I'd like to be a CFRE by the end of this year, uh, September 30th is your deadline to get your application to us. So still plenty of time to work on those applications and get those in for the next round of uh, of testing. Uh, that's terrific. Absolutely. Uh, now, I also wanted to just make note uh, for all of our listeners that we do, of course, have a link to CFRE.org over in the radio links for today's show, so you, they can go directly there and receive all of the uh, uh, all of the links to not only today's show, uh, but all the archives for our prior shows of this year, 2011 and 2012. Great. Thanks so, so much. Well, anything else going on over at CFRE before I let you go? You know, I think those are the big things right now. We're getting ready for fall conference season. Looking forward to being at the uh, AFP Leadership Academy. I'll be there. Also, oh, tell us a little uh, bit about that. So, you, where will CFRE be this fall? Uh, we are going to be, in addition to uh, at AFP, we are going to be at the Association of Healthcare Philanthropy meeting in Toronto. We're going to be at the uh, International Catholic Stewardship Conference in Dallas. We're also going to be at the International Fundraising Congress in Amsterdam. So oh, that's terrific! Well, that's one of the season. I think one of the best conferences put on by the Resource Alliance uh, over in uh, Nordvikenhout. So have a, a great time at uh, at that conference, and uh, anyone who's out there, uh, connect up with CFRE on the road or online at CFRE.org. That's uh, Eva Aldrich uh, back here with the AFP uh, Minute, or the I'm sorry, CFRE Minute, uh, and we'll uh, catch up with you again next month. Thanks so much, Ted. Thank you, Ava. All right, back here on uh, page one news, you'll find over in the radio links today six types of Facebook posts that will help you generate leads. And so this is a very nice article uh, that uh, just posted, um, and this posted over on HubSpot. Uh, so you can go and you can read about uh, the 2013 State of Inbound Marketing Report. Uh, and on this, uh, uh, in this report, you'll be able to uh, learn about direct leads, indirect leads, uh, use call to action in uh, cover photos um, is their number one suggestion. Uh, include links and captions to uh, to photos. Host a Facebook chat, and so they give you information on how to uh, actually do that. Make Facebook events for webinars uh, is number four. Tip number five is to use targeted advertising to extend your content's reach. 64% of U.S. advertisers are upping their social ad budget for 2013. Are you? Uh, certainly should be. And if you listen to the nonprofit coach, you know that we do believe that paid advertising is an important part of your outreach and certainly as you build your expertise to then look at attracting a Google grant for AdWords support as well. And then number six is to build forms on tabs and again, they're going to give you the information here right in uh, the generating leads using Facebook. You can download the ebook right now, and the link is over at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Next up here on page one news um, is a study uh, over in the Chronicle of Philanthropy. This is a study that states that uh, baby boomers are now the largest source of charity, charity gifts. Uh, now, um, in uh, this report, according to generations be uh, born uh, before, uh, nine, or let me see, including the including the generation. I'm sorry, including the uh, generation uh, before 1946 as well. Uh, so, in this study, boomers make up 34% of the pool of donors, but now give 43% of all money contributed by individuals. So, we're now seeing that. Um, uh, that change here as well. So um, in this uh, report, they're also going to give you information on millennials, uh, and those are uh, uh, folks that are born between 1981 and 1995. The Generation X folks, 1965 to 1980, uh, boomers, and then the elderly. So you're going to get a good breakdown there and some uh, good insights into younger donors. 
uh, but certainly now that uh, baby boomers are now uh, taking up the largest percentage, um, you want to make sure that you read this report. Posted over in the Chronicle Philanthropy, link available to you, tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Um, also in the radio links today, and I'm very, very pleased to uh, have had this sent over to us. I uh, appreciate everybody who uh, sends us uh, items to be considered in the links. Uh, you can send that to us at tedhart at tedhart.com and make uh, your suggestions on things you would like to be included on page one news. Um, and the Executive Service Corps of Washington has posted the Best Practices Materials Manual for Nonprofit Boards. This is a 39-page manual uh, that we now have a link uh, available to you uh, that goes through all of the details of boards of directors' recruitment, board policies, gives you resources, talks about the role of the board, um, certainly the relationship uh, between various officers. It gives you sample position descriptions for each of the board members. This is really invaluable information, particularly for those of you who are either uh, building new boards of directors or trying to help your current board of directors be more efficient and effective in their interaction and their governance duties for your nonprofit organization. Really, really good stuff. Uh, and this is, of course, available free of charge. That's the Best Practices Materials Manual for Nonprofits. That's available over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. And with that, I'm very pleased to say we're ready to uh, wrap up uh, Page One News and head right on over to our Page Two Expert. Our Page Two Expert is well known here at Nonprofit Coach. Uh, she is one of the top uh, podcasts uh, listened to. Uh, she's always a favorite here on the Nonprofit Coach, and that is, of course, Pat Pasquale. She is the director of the Washington, D.C. office of the Foundation Center. She was appointed the director of the Foundation Center's regional office in D.C. in April of 2008. Uh, this is a return engagement, as I said, who served as uh, the, the D.C. director from 1994 to 1999 and led the center's Cleveland office, uh, for the nine years prior to that. She's also experienced as public library administrator both in Cleveland and the District of Columbia Public Library Systems, where she managed special system-wide initiatives and outreach services. She's an expert in all things related to research and the materials available through the Foundation Center. Today, she's coming back to give us some crystal ball, look forward into funding from uh, foundations, and how nonprofit organizations, as you're looking to your fall campaigns, can boost your fundraising potential and do a better job at attracting foundation support. Welcome back here to Nonprofit Coach Pat Pasquale. Well, thank you, Ted, for having me back. And I always love your introduction, but I think what people love to hear is about the Foundation Center and all the wonderful things that we try to do to help the nonprofit sector be more sustainable. Well, of course, we're big fans of the Foundation Center, and that goes without saying, but we're even bigger fans of yours uh, because your particular style of information and your ability to help people understand what can sometimes feel complicated um, or, at the very least, difficult to understand how to maneuver through the world of foundation fundraising, which uh, can be an important source of funding, but has its own quirks and its own way of doing business. Uh, so why don't we um, start off with um, some of your tips. We said we're going to be talking about crystal balling it here. Um, talking about some of your tips in terms of what you think um, all of my listeners here should be doing this fall to prepare for bigger success. Ah, good. Well, this is a perfect um, segue into some things that we've been doing at the center to make it less complicated, because I totally agree with you that it is becoming more and more complicated. And one of the things the center's been doing is looking at its resources and trying to rearrange them so that people have quicker, easier access and can get to places that they want to be. And if you're a Foundation Center watcher, you may have not noticed, and maybe you haven't, is that we redid our main website which for years people have said it's wonderful, but it's too dense with text and we need some help. And so about a month ago, I guess about two months ago, we actually redid the website. And hopefully when people take a look at it, it will get them to resources much quicker. It's got less text, more boxes, etc. And the redesign is meant to help people move along faster into, in terms of finding what they need to look like, what they need to look at. 
So um, one one place to start, of course, is is the is the website. And what what's the the, the main purpose? Is that an a, an all one stop shop, or is that just a, a starting point? Well, actually, that was my next point. Is that we now have five websites, and most people don't realize this anymore. <laughs> and I think um, if I walk people through the the website, you'll see that there's special resources in each one each one of the websites that will help you in in different ways. So. FoundationCenter.org is what I call the organizational website. It has a little bit of everything, you know, who we are, the normal things about us, contact us, etc. But we've got some specialized websites that people are really going to, I think, really like. Um, one that many people probably haven't looked at is something called GlassPockets.org. And GlassPockets helps you as we go more and more looking at individual giving as, you know, being very, very close to foundation giving because individuals have foundations and give, give you know, through their own giving as well. But Glass Pockets is a website that we set up almost two years ago, and it assesses foundation transparency, which is one helpful way of looking at foundations. Do they have their application uh, guidelines on their web in, 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 their, uh, in they print anything? Do they assess... Um, they have a way for grantees to feedback, give feedback about their programs, et cetera. So what the Foundation Center has done is set up this Glass Pockets website where you can look, and we are going through foundations. They have a chart of criteria that they need to meet, and if they meet all the criteria, they land up on the Glass Pockets page, and one of my staff members here in D.C. does that. So it's interesting to see what foundations are doing. It has on that page a handy list of foundations, and which social media they're involved in. But what really is a real hidden gem is our Eye on the Giving Pledge information. Uh, you know that you know there are about 114 individuals who, who said they've committed the majority of their assets to philanthropy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and well, what that, we've and that's, done big, is, that's big news in the sector. Right. Well, what we did was we, we took the names, and we actually had staff members um, compile background information and biographical information on them. And on the giving pledge, giving pledge, giving pledge page on Glass Package, you can see what you know where they were born, when they went to school, children, etc. All that good background information that you can link to. And then there are some charts that show where the giving pledge people are geographically and what subject areas that they're in. So it's really very helpful page for people who are looking to see if they can connect to one of these one of these millionaires billionaires etc and so glass pockets is the giving pledge um section is a real gem for people who are looking that for the big major gifts kinds of activities um and and in, in using those sites is there it, it, do you start do you start um with the foundation center site which of course uh we're providing a direct link in the uh, radio links today um, to your office, um, is that a good place to start, or should be should people? Well, they be, actually have their uh, they have they have their own addresses. Um, okay. And um, at the well, at the bottom of foundationcenter.org, which is the main page, which we just redid, and it's really nice. At the very bottom of the page, it links all of our. There's a box that has the addresses for all our portals because we have about about five different portals and other links that people want to get to. So the best place to find to get to these is to either go to foundationcenter.org at the bottom of the page or, for example, with, with uh, Glass Pockets, it's www.glasspockets.org, and it takes you okay. right into that page. So that's Okay, and we'll be thing. adding to uh, uh, the radio links today uh, Glass Pockets uh, so that uh, folks will be able to go to – and did you say that's glasspockets.org? Mm-hmm, glasspockets.org. Okay, but okay. The, but terrific. The big, so the gla- big... glasspockets.org, right. Okay. But the the really helpful place for people doing planning and fundraising in terms of the rest of the year is is GrantSpace, and that's GrantSpace.org. Um, okay. And this has four major sections on it. The first section is by area, which I think people will find really helpful. It has the RFPs. Say you're looking at an arts organization. It lists the RFPs. It lists the major news articles about the arts. It has a Twitter feed in, of Tweets from various and sundry arts funders aggregated in a little box. You can you don't have to go to each one. You can just look there. Um, they have live chats. We have webinars. We have podcasts, etc. And we have about mm, probably ten subject general subject areas that you can look at on GrantSpace in the subject section. And okay. then we go to the the skills section, which is what people really love. 
is we have skills such as how to write a proposal, how to do a fundraising plan, how to incorporate, how to work with boards. And that section, again, is a multimedia sort of wonderland. You can listen to podcasts. You can watch webinars, um, programs that some of our offices are actually taped, so you can look there. We have live chats, and if you miss the live chat, there's transcripts, um, frequently asked questions, and the most popular part of the section is sample documents. So you're looking for proposals, bylaws, job descriptions. You can also find um, sample documents there. Um, it's a real, as I said, wonderland for people who are trying to um, learn more about a particular area. And you can do all of it. What's great is it's convenient. You can look at it in your de- at, at your desk <laughs> or in your chair <laughs> at home at any time that's really great for you. So... Grand space. So it's it's sort of sort of sort of like having a, a bit of a consultant at your fingertips, isn't it? I'm Absolutely. I'm over uh, here on uh, on grantspace uh, dot org, and I see all the various tools. You as you said, you've got classrooms, and mm-hmm. um, so there's just a, a lot to do over here, which is you know for organizations whose budgets might be uh, a bit tight on uh, right. training, this mm-hmm. can be a really great way for them to expand those budgets. Right, and it's I, I always like to say <laughs> I, I I do myself I shoot myself on the foot sometimes when someone calls Washington and I said, Well, you can also skip Washington traffic and parking and look at some of these things right online <laughs> especially the webinars. <laughs> but but I mean it is for areas that don't have a foundation center or collection anywhere nearby. It's a real and it's a real boom. And you work internationally and we know that people internationally are now using this to learn about how to fundraise in America. And of course this show as you know has an international audience uh, particularly since all of the shows are podcasts and the right. listenership on the podcast uh Pat has been growing by tens of thousands. Uh so we're very very pleased uh, at how rapidly the nonprofit coach show uh is growing. So this is a great way to get information out and to help people uh be able to expand their knowledge base. Right. Well that's the other so, section on Go ahead. Yeah, no, go the other ahead. section on <laughs> You just have so much to share today. That's why we have you on this show because you've got so much to share. Oh, we can we 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 run to keep up here at the Foundation Center. My staff and I are like, <laughs> what's new, what's new today? Um and in terms of grant space, the other section I just want to point out is we have the frequently asked questions and sample document sections, which are really popular because people who are new to philanthropy or even if you're in philanthropy, I had a question yesterday, what's a social impact bond? We try to keep up with all of those terms that people are going scratching their head over. What is this? <laughs> and you can put it in when you click on the knowledge base. You can put in terms um, and be led to resources, not just foundation center resources, but other resources that will explain what this, you know, what the terms and what the sort of issues actually are. And then according to Google Analytics, our most popular spot is sample documents. And you can put in, I want to see bylaws, job descriptions, budgets, proposals. And if we have some on the site, it will bring it up to you so you can actually can see it. So that's that's really a really popular spot. And the last two sections on grant space are two that everybody is always talking about, collaboration and evaluation. As, as you well know, the hot terms in philanthropy, we have the, cl- the collaboration database where you can see examples of collaborations um, and how people have done it. And the evaluation database has um, examples of how to do different types of evaluation. And these are all free. And sort of grant, it's like grant space. It's like a little university where you can sort of poke around and go to yeah, all I think these that's classes. A, that's a really great way to, uh, to, to view it as sort of like a, a little university because part of, I think, where you're leading to this is that um, these are not just sort of, gee, if you have some extra time or you don't know what else to do, go to grant space. These are actually skill sets that you have to have Correct. if you're going to be successful in foundation grant writing. Right. And more and more, we can't keep up with you here about these new ways of giving. Um, what do you do about donor-advised funds? Um, what are giving circles? We had a program here at D.C. on giving circles, and people were like, wow. I didn't know about giving circles and how do you work with them and you know where are they etc. And so, you know, grant space is one of the places where you can sort of keep up, you know, put put in your question, and mm-hmm. somebody will somebody will actually get back to you because well, that's the other thing. There, for the for the general um, development officer, regardless of 
you know your your title or your position within your organization there is a general sense on on the part of most leadership and boards of directors that you are going to be the resident expert and you do know all of these things right. um and the foundation center can be a friend in helping you actually bridge the gap between what you know right now and what you need to know to succeed right and we actually have um Live chat, which um, many people don't know about when you go on to Grant Space. I was just going to ask you about that. When you go to grantspace.org, uh, uh, right there, very easy to find, right in the upper right-hand corner is Chat yeah. Now. Now, what that, what's yes, that all about? Chat Now, in exactly um, two hours, somebody on my staff will be assigned to cover Chat Now. And, you know, the five regional offices of the Foundation Center, we're all assigned times so that you go online you, and you type in your question, and we answer you in live time. Um, And if you come at one of the times when we're not there, you can leave a question and someone will get back to you via email the next day or so. But, yeah, here in D.C., Tuesdays through Fridays, 2 to 4.30, one of my librarians is chatting away and will answer all kinds of questions. Um, I tell people the only question we probably don't ask is we don't give you a list of funders, but we tell you where to look. Right, where, but it's where a great... well because it's so specific. I mean, yes, it would be nice to think that there there is one list of people who are looking to give you money, um, right. but there's a lot more that goes into um, understanding the mind of a funder and what they're looking for. So we're going to take a, a quick little break uh, here, and when you come back, maybe you can uh, help my listeners today uh, get inside the minds of a funder. Oh, okay. And we'll, we'll be right. We'll be right back. When you have a great idea and need to work with others to bring it to life, how do you do it? Sometimes it's tough because the people you work with are in different places, with different schedules, using different devices. Google Apps lets you bring ideas to life with others. Here's how. Start with email that offers more. Gmail does more than send and receive emails. It connects people and lets you chat instantly while viewing a snapshot of your team's relevant activities and access to everything they shared with you. With Google Docs, there's only one version for everyone to work on. Share easily with the right people without email attachments or compatibility hassles and work together on the same docs at the same time in a way that simply makes sense. Edit and interact easily with integrated social commenting. Google Calendar makes it easy to share schedules and find times to meet and schedule or update meetings with a few clicks. Everyone can't be in the same place at the same time, but Google Apps lets you work together from any place. With multi-way video chat, you'll feel like you're all in the same room. While screen sharing and integration with Google Docs lets you work with more people from anywhere, on any device, even on your mobile phone or tablet. Work with any team at any time from any place on any device. Google Apps. Work in the future, today. To learn more, go to google.com slash apps. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we are back here live on the Nonprofit Coach with Pat Pasquale, Director of the Washington, D.C. Office of the Foundation Center, giving us terrific resources today. Uh, Pat, you've already uh, spoken about glasspockets.org, grantspace.org, really fantastic resources here. But help us get inside the mind of uh, foundation funders. What are they looking for? What do you see as the biggest mistakes that my listeners should be avoiding? Well, I think the biggest mistake is oh, is the same mistake that fundraisers have been making for decades is not doing enough research uh, on a funder. 
uh, to see what they have given to, where they seem to be going and about. Now more and more you also look at the individuals attached to the funders. We found, we have a, a class that we have here called How to Approach a Foundation. Okay. And I found. Is that, is that uh, a live class that people can take or can they also it's, take that online? It's a live class and it's also a webinar. It's also a recorded um, class. We have that whole okay. series of recorded webinars and How to Approach is one. But what I found in doing research, because I teach this, I always like to keep it fresh, <laughs> is to look up and see how, you know, we hear this everywhere, you know, engage your funders, engage your funders. But how do you engage them when you don't see them? Because more and more people are resorting to conference calls and teleconferences, so pressing the flesh becomes a little bit harder than it used to be in the past. Um but the Center for Effective Philanthropy was interesting. They did a study uh, last year, and um, they found that foundations are relying on social media. Now, they, they they are relying on social media to get the word out um, more than they did in the past. So they're a little bit slow to get started, but they've, they've now picked up the ball. But what the study said was interesting that um, nonprofits weren't biting they said they, they, they prefer the one-on-one, and they weren't always looking at what was available on a foundation's website, Twitter, feed, blog posts, etc. So I think one of the lessons from the study, Center for Effective Philanthropy, is that um, in order to get inside of a funder, you really do need to look at what they're putting out there because they're doing it intentionally, and you look like you're not doing a good job if you haven't read their latest announcement that they're not funding in a certain area or they've started an initiative, et cetera. So that's... It sort of to them feels like you're just not paying attention. Correct, yeah. And that's that's not a that's not a new phenomenon. That's funders. We, we as fundraisers have to... I've always had to do homework. We didn't have as many... The thing is we have too many resources now. <laughs> it's like, where do you look? You Google them, you go onto our site, you go into the... Association of Grantmakers sites that are out there, et cetera. Um, but I, I, I have a suggestion in that area. Um, you know, we talk about on our your board and fundraising classes that having board members um, sort of watch social media uh, sites um, is a really good use of their time. It's not. It's something that it's not as intimidating as having going on fundraising calls. But they can actually you can assign them to watch a blog, a Twitter feed, et cetera. And keep the organization up to date on what's up, what's out there. It's a, it's a way to make them feel that they're they're actually uh, contributing, but it's not uh, you know terribly high impact, or it's not going to take right. a lot of their time. And they can do it at their leisure, which is a nice which is a nice thing. So, so you know, following um, their social media is really good. And another um, tactic that we also mention in our classes is that. Find out what they're funding in terms of research or, or strategy. Um, another of our new websites is issuelab.org. And this is a fascinating um, uh, site to go to because it brings together publications that foundations have either funded or they have put out. And that tells you a lot about you know, what they're interested in, what are best practices, what has been, what's been tried, not tried, etc. Um, we talk about in one class, like Kids Count, which is a great um, resource put out every year by the Annie Casey Foundation. Annie Casey, yeah, that's a, that's and a great. And if you're doing site. anything on children, you should be quoting from Annie Casey because everybody knows that Annie Casey is like the expert in the field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, issue lab. So again, it, get it's, it's making sure that you're paying attention because the expectation is, yes, you may have great ideas on what to do for children. But if you aren't doing your homework and you don't understand the resources that most people in the industry are utilizing, then it makes it look like you're not in the know. Correct. Right. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. I was just looking at Issue Lab. Issue Lab gives you an idea of trends because you can see what the newest publications are, like Blackmail Achievement is hot. Um, there's a whole host of things on international events and and, and countries in conflict, et cetera. It also it often reflects the uh, the state of the world and funders are you know what they're interested in and sort of gives you tips as to you know where you should be you know floating your boats. And that's issuelabs.org. 
That's issuelab.org. It's real easy. <laughs> okay, you can, so All of these so are clips. The, you, actually, at Grand Space, you can get through it, too, but it's easy to You can to get right through it as well. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering, what's what's the, um, you know, for busy fundraisers who want to raise lots of money but need to slow down a little bit and, and learn the rules of the road, what's the pathway that you would suggest? We have all these websites. Um, how do you prioritize or how do you think through that? Well, I think if you, for people who are starting fundraising, like I actually had to teach a class on this last night <laughs> for the Young Nonprofit Professional Association, is um, just knowing sort of the, doing a little background on how fundraising happens and foundation fundraising in particular. Um, knowing the vocabulary, a little bit of the history, so that you can cut through some of the massive amounts of data a little bit quicker. Um, for example, we were talking about last night about what's a private foundation? Um, what's, in, what's a corporate giving program? If you don't understand those basics, if you don't take time to learn those, you spend a lot of time looking for data that may not be there because it just doesn't exist. But if you take some time mm-hmm. to do some background uh, work, then you're better off uh, in starting your research. The other thing that I always tell people is, is when you start fundraising is to set up some kind of a system, record-keeping system, so you know what you're doing and what you've done, et cetera, so you don't keep constantly going back um, back and forth to the same resources, the same people, and that you know what the, you know, the, the way ahead actually is. And I think if, if you some upfront work, it's like with painting, more preparation before you start painting. <laughs> right. More preparation before you send in your proposals or your project under. <laughs> you get better results in the end. And and I think that's I think sometimes that is the challenge, isn't it? Is is taking a look a fresh look at where you've been, even if you have relationships with funders, um, to take a fresh look at, at how they've changed over time. Oh, and we're in a major generational change. I don't know in other parts of the country, but here in D.C. we're seeing baby boomers and are finally the economy is a little bit better and we're, we're seeing changes in um, heads of foundations here in town and major changes in some of the big nonprofits. And it's really interesting because then you have to say, okay, Margaret has gone from a consumer health foundation. I've known her for 20 years. Now I have to learn, I have to reach out to the new person and uh, we have to. We may have different priorities, or may look at the entire landscape in a different way. Correct. Which is is not necessarily good or bad, but is important for the nonprofit to understand that that's the reality of the situation. Right, and you were talking about the generational changes, and you know, baby boomers and millenniums and X people have different ways of looking at the world, (laughs) and. As you said, they come into a new set of people come into a foundation from one of the other groups and says, says we don't want to do it this way. We're going to an online form or we're only doing, you know, general operating support or we're only doing, you know, targeted, we're going to issue RFPs. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's right now is a very turbulent time, I think, in terms of foundation fundraising, and it's going to go on like this in another Five to ten so that, years. this is this part part of what we wanted to do for our listeners today is that crystal ball. Um, what is new? What is changing? And uh, as as we heard in page one, a uh, terrific study done and, and reported in the Chronicle of Philanthropy um, about this sort of um, the I guess the older generation moving on a little bit and baby boomers now moving into those mm-hmm. most senior leadership positions um, and certainly as a population. Uh, now becoming the largest funding uh, group. So that being the case, um, that means that this is really a different time for uh, for fundraising and therefore for all of our listeners, whether you've had longstanding relationships or not, things are changing. Oh, absolutely. I found a, a great study. Um, next year is the 50th anniversary of the Foundation Center here in Washington. So we're trying to do some programs on future casting, just like what you're saying. I found a really great study looking out for the future, um, an orientation for 21st century philanthropists. It was put out by the Monitor Monitor Institute. And it starts off with a great chart, and it says, old way, older patterns of of habits and seeds of change. And it goes through a whole host of um, 
characteristics and behaviors, for example, it says, older pattern of habits, older patterns or habits, giving primarily late in life, change, giving throughout life. And I think that's really um, very right on target because I see all these groups in D.C., young groups, um, young nonprofits, uh, Capital Cause, another group I went to, Give Alexandria, uh, women's circles, and these are younger folks who don't have a lot of money, you know, individually, but they're giving collectively through a giving circle, and they're starting earlier. They're not waiting until you know after the kids are gone, and now we can make a big gift to a university. So, but there, yeah, it, there's a lot of changes out there <laughs> coming. And, coming and looking at, are, are you feeling that um, giving circles and and uh, programs of that sort? Um, which have been around for a while, um, are are with the this uh, new leadership coming into foundations is going to be more significant um, to the the uh, uh, fundraising uh, you know, development uh, uh, professional or um, just another tool that they should be aware of. Well, I think it's like everything these days. It's probably going to be just it's going to be another tool, <laughs> and you have to you have to learn how to do all of them. <laughs> So you okay. still have to learn how to write a. You have to write a letter to your older donors. You have to be able to tweet and blog to your younger donors. And heavens knows what's coming down the pike <laughs> in terms of the and, next and, way of communicating. And, and as you as you were pointing out, the tweeting and blogging and and all that, while sort of traditionally seen as maybe you know more millennial or or even uh, Generation X, um, that uh, leadership of foundations are increasingly relying on these tools. Um, oh, as a way to signal where they're at and what they're looking for, uh, right. and that can become very significant uh, for uh, for everyone listening today in terms of what is changing in the marketplace and where are they going to find this information. Right, and we uh, we had a, a a really wonderful program, a foundation here in town, uh, Meyer Foundation. One of their program officers came and they spoke about how. How a nonprofit uses social media is one of the things they now look at in terms of assessing the overall um, sort of management of an organization. And they were sort of hinting, if you didn't have a social media program, it was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it should right. be part of your communications. It should be part of your communications program. You should have something. You don't have to have everything, but if you don't have one, it causes people to sort of scratch their head and say, hmm, how come? Now, now do nonprofits, because I think you're you're raising a a very important point, one that 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 I've spoken quite a bit about, and and I'm just wondering if you're seeing the trend go in the right direction, and that is um, to look internally before you look to funders, because you while you need the money, and and that's great, that's that's wonderful that you need the money, uh, you know, get in line. Um, so does everybody else. Um, the real issue is, are you ready to raise money? Oh well, we have a class. We have a class for that. <laughs> we have a class for almost everything. It's getting ready. It's called "Before You Seek a Grant," and and in, in fundraising planning, one of the first things we talk about is your case statement and your organizational assessment. And funders expect you to, you, in order to present any case in fundraising to individuals or corporations or or foundations, you really have to know your you know the SWOT, your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and be able to present them. Um, to funders of all, of all, to donors of all levels, because you have to, you know, win them over. And right. if, you, if you go out before you're ready, um, then you can, you know, not get the the, the best results. And, and increasingly, um, it, it is. Well, I'm not even sure it's increasingly. I think it's probably always been the case. But um, you you have to sort of be part of the the the. Uh, uh, the team. In other words, if you are looking to a foundation and they are heavily invested in utilizing social media and you have no presence, um, you may just be outside their comfort zone. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so, and and that you can take that in, in a number of different ways. If they communicate in a certain way, if they fund certain types of organizations, these are all really important clues um, to how you position yourself with that organization if you have any chance of being successful. Correct. And I think that's you're right on the button. If you're not if they're if they're if they've got an online form and they've got a website and they're tweeting and blogging, et cetera, 
and you are having trouble and you don't have like the basics um i think it's it says something to them not necessarily bad but it's like okay what's your new long term sustainability are you moving ahead with where the way the world is going mhm 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 so resources wise um so we will be posting um all of your your sites uh, today in uh, in the radio links um, say I'm, I, I just became a development officer for an organization that's been around for a while. They maybe have a bit of a track record with uh, foundations, but one of the things that I'm looking to do is to give a fresh look, a fresh start to our foundation fundraising. Um, where's the best place to start? Well, it depends on, I guess, is it, is it the same? Foundation fundraising is pretty much still the same process of fresh it's relationships and right. that's what you have to sort of work out is relationships and I, as I said I think it's harder these days because there aren't as many receptions where you actually get to meet people and that's where I think social media can really play a role in terms of um, you know seeing what they're doing and how you can um, help one of the things that I think funders like is they like to be provided with content, and uh, many nonprofits know more about an issue than a foundation, and being able to um, send them the newest report on child abuse or environment, mm-hmm. et cetera. And being the expert, you know, presenting yourself as the expert is a great way to um, sort of have an, what they say is ask for advice, get money, ask for money, get nothing. <laughs> right, right. But that's a, that's a very important point. If you're not a thought leader, and it doesn't mean that you have to be the largest and, and uh, most well-funded organization, but if you're not a thought leader, if you're not bringing something new to the table apart from just direct service, but from that direct service, you're, you're actually measuring things. You, you actually are looking at outcomes. In other words, you're a thought leader in some aspect, whether it's in your particular community uh, or in your particular sector. If you're not thinking of yourself in that way, I think it and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it takes you outside of the expected realm of foundation fundraising. Not to say that you might not be able to inspire some individuals, um, to maybe support your organization, but when you look to foundations, um, they are looking to add something to the overall sector while they're funding you. Well the big foundations and I, I always like to make that distinction. You have big gates, um, you know, Ford, even like here in town, Meyer Cambridge, they're strategic, but as you well know, there are hundreds and thousands of little itty-bitty foundations who are perfectly happy to fund the food bank and make sure, you know, what they're interested in is direct service. Mm -hmm. So part of your research is figuring out who's who, and um, each of the approaches will be a little bit different depending on direct service providers as opposed to those who issue RFPs and want measurable outcomes and reports, et cetera. But even even there, they still want you to be measuring, counting, reporting. And in, in that regard, it may not be the same as writing some big white paper or, or e-book on a topic. But at the same time, they're funding something, and it's not just keeping your doors open. It's right. that there are outcomes, there are things that they're looking to accomplish. Um, and, and it the, the bar is higher, I think, when you are seeking to attract foundation support uh, than necessarily, and again, it's, these are generalities that there's always exceptions, uh, but with individuals, it, it may be more of an emotional connection. It may be more of a keep-the-doors-open connection, but foundation support, they're looking to accomplish something. Right. Most of them. And so you it's have like to prepare so yourself. Little, they're to, really little ones. <laughs> right. Well, but but you have to prepare yourself to be uh, to be counting, to be right. offering something of value. Well, it's and but the other way of looking at that, Ted, is is that evaluation and counting shouldn't just be for the funder. It should be for you, the manager, because you want to manage your program the best you can, making the most of your resources. So it's really a management tool that good managers use and not just a tool that you have to a report that you have to do because of a funder asked for it. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, um, but but it, what your point is is that you really need to be thinking of that as just part of your overall management. So that goes back to your point uh, earlier of doing the internal assessment. Is that are you ready to uh, attract this kind of support? Right. Mm-hmm. And different types of even in within the funding world, we have a class on corporate. Giving and we talk about you know working with corporations is a whole different <laughs> kettle of fish sometimes than working with foundations. Mm-hmm. You know, are you ready for the things they're going to ask um, you for? We've got about ten minutes um, in in your uh, crystal ball. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, corporate foundations and do they differ um, in what they're looking for and the approach that you should be uh, focused on from pu- public foundations? Well, um, I think corporate giving. When you look down the road, um, is pretty much the same if you understood it 10 years ago. You probably, uh, well, I don't know. It's You hear everywhere that it has to be aligned to the business objectives, um, which has almost always been the case for people who are doing serious corporate, corporate solicitation, mm-hmm. that um, you have to know what their business interests are and how you can help them. Um, sell a product, sell a service, um, become a good citizen, be seen as a good citizen, et cetera. Um, but it does take um, more what you call hand-holding in terms of talking with them and then meeting their um, requirements. They they like they like metrics. They want to know how many times. They, and they are very into what's your social media presence and how many hits do you get on your page and how many is your press release ticked up, et cetera? And so you have to be ready to deal with they want to see in concrete ways what the word how the word is getting out that they're doing good to your your organization is getting out there. Mm-hmm. Then you have the ethical issues about who you want to work with. You may not want to work with a alcohol company or an or an oil company because you're a certain type of company. Um mm-hmm. and then the trend seems to be that corporations are giving more um in-kind support, and also loaned executive kinds of things. Um, good 360. So looking, great- looking beyond just the check, of course, everybody loves to have cash. Right. Mm-hmm. But can that building that kind of relationship um, can sometimes be a pathway to other funding. Right. And starting off with volunteers at your event, you know, loaned executives using their space, um, Good 360, which is a great organization, you get things from corporations as opposed to money. Maybe right. um, for some organizations a better um, pathway than trying to write a proposal, et cetera. And then the corporations have so many other ways of giving. their sponsorships. It's close-related marketing. Um, it's For some organizations, it's, it's you know probably more lucrative than going after foundations because you're looking for certain you know basic things that you might be able to get as a gift, an in-kind gift as opposed to getting money for it. So we have all these resources that are available. Um, The Foundation Center continues to be an excellent uh, resource for training and research uh, regarding foundation support and and, uh, corporate foundation support. So for all of our listeners uh, today, um, they can go to uh, tedhart.com radio links. They'll be able to get all of the links that we've discussed uh, here today. And I think from, from what what you're saying is there is a change coming um, that is already underway in the foundation sector, and that, that that maybe one of the common themes is is that this is the time of a generational change. And what that means is that that can both open up opportunities, but it can also uh, be a game changer for some organizations that may have relied on knowing the same people for many years and relying on uh, funding of a certain sort um, that can, that's now changing. Right. I think that's if you're just you have it's like looking ahead, it's going to it has to happen <laughs> because of the years and lifestyle, you know, life cycles. It's that's given when foundations were started, looking at their terms when they're people when they were actually started, when, you know, they've had the last generational change happened, etc. You can kind of predict and look at the age of folk uh, that things are coming, but you have this big gulp, the baby boomers. That we we, t- we tend to change things as we go along because there's so many of us. So. Right, right. Now, one of the the wonderful things I think that's worth mentioning today is that in the nonprofit sector, 
Uh, the one thing that is completely unique about foundations is that they're the only ones who are required to give money away. Correct. So, so they have to give away at least 5% uh, each year. They can use some of that administratively, but um, they have to give money away. So they, they are in some ways, and some people have suggested that foundations should view themselves more as sort of the venture capitalists of, uh, of the nonprofit sector. Do you subscribe to that? Well, there are some people who say that. I, I have a mixed bag. <laughs> I'm a mixed bag person. Um, as long if they're going to be the venture capitalist, then somebody's going to have to help with general operating support for the really social, what I call the human services needs, because they mm-hmm. have no, they have very little opportunity for earned income. Big places like right. theaters, universities, they have they have a revenue source, but for feeding the homeless and the hungry, there's not much you can raise. <laughs> right. I mean, when you when you are literally the safety net. Right. Uh, so the safety net people are. Yeah. Are most vulnerable, right, uh, to whims of funding. So, are foundations a a realistic long term strategy for organizations of that sort? Well, I, when we talk to people, we talk about they they help special projects and get things off the ground. But foundations are not usually a good long term resource for any organization. It's part of you know you have to diversify your funding base and have. Foundations and corporations and earned income and even government grants, which we say they're still out there. <laughs> right. If you're ready to go through the hoops, they, there's a lot of government grants out there. And there's all, there's all kinds of new things are sort of emerging. I think that's the amazing thing is you have to sort of keep your eye out there thinking what else is there and what else can we do because it may not – it may just be evolving. That you know, Giving circles will be the hot thing for the next 10, 20 years, and then something else will come around. Mm-hmm. You know, we just had a hot discussion on our internal internet about social impact bonds. Are they really going to last, or you know, they just aren't? Is somebody going to try? But I think more, I think more and more ways of fundraising are being tried, and some will float and some will sink. <laughs> so creativity and understanding the marketplace, staying in touch with uh, the foundation center, particularly as you were saying, the issue lab. Um, is one area where you're going to be able to pick up those trends. So you don't have to be the expert. You don't even have to hire experts. Uh, if you're a you know a, a single person, maybe you're the executive director who's also the fundraiser, um, and you're feeling frustrated that there are just so many things that you have to know. You've got to organize the information because while it may seem unfair, everyone is pretty much playing by the same rules. And unfortunately, I think right now what's frustrating in the foundation sector for a lot of folks is that those rules are changing. Right. And it, it may be tied to generation, but there's some new thinking, some rethinking uh, that can open opportunities for some organizations but close doors to others. Right. And oh, you're you're very active in global fundraising and you know, the new book out on um, AFP just put out on international fundraising. It talks about how, you know, America isn't the – philanthropy is being reinvented in different countries and all kinds of other interesting formats are sort of popping up <laughs> outside of the United States. And, you know, more and more millionaires and billionaires are in China or Mexico. And right. so not only is funding changing in terms of format, it's also changing in forms of where it's coming from. Right, and and at the same time that we're seeing uh, pockets of wealth and philanthropy um, sprout up and grow around the world, we're also seeing unprecedented growth in in Americans funding outside of America. Right. Um, certainly here at CAFAmerica.org, uh, we're an organization that helps uh, foundations, individuals, and corporations uh, with their international grant making, um, and we've never seen the levels of activity that we're seeing right now. Um, and certainly the conversations that we're having gives us reason to believe that that trend will continue. Right. I agree. So, Pat, we're uh, just wrapping up our time here. Again, uh, just a fantastic show, always with you, rich in information. Uh, Please make sure that uh, we end the show here by telling my listeners how they can find you. Oh, well, to get to the Foundation Center in Washington, D.C., website is www.foundationcenter.org forward slash Washington. And um, you'll see our schedule, our blog, our Twitter feed, et cetera, et cetera. And 
If you're in Washington, come visit us at 1627 K Street on the third floor. Well, I certainly uh, look forward to uh, uh, getting over there to see you sometime <laughs> soon. Uh, but uh, we will post all of your links today. And, Pat, again, thank you for being our guest here once again. A terrific show on The Nonprofit Coach. We will be back uh, next week here on uh, The Nonprofit Coach with a great show next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern. See you then. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. Bye. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.